Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. I just made $7 by selling a pin that I didn't like. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, and I'm going to introduce my lovely co-host rather quickly because if I don't, I'm just going to start going off on this topic because I am so excited about today. Um, Allison Brown, how do you feel Hello. about today's show? <laughs> Control yourself, Jill. <laughs> no, aren't you? I'm so excited because we are talking to pin collectors today. And this is the reason why we went to Lake Placid a few weeks ago, was to visit the Olympin Pin Collectors Convention and see what pin collecting was all about. And they were fantastic. Oh, they were so much fun. They were our kind of people. And yes. just, we had a great time. We take, did. Take a listen. We're in a pretty nondescript convention center ballroom, except that it's not just any ballroom. It's in Lake Placid's Olympic Center, just down the hall from the rink where the Miracle on Ice took place. Where Olympic history has been made, Olympic history is being celebrated by the members of Olympin, the oldest and largest Olympic memorabilia collectors club in the world. Well, I came back from the games. I had like 39 pins and I was going to mount them on a Lake Placid Olympic scarf and frame it. And that was going to be my memory. That's Don Bigsby, founder of Olympin. After the 1980 Lake Placid Olympics, Don went to a ski show and found a man selling Lake Placid pins, including some that he himself had for much higher prices. I see all these pins a lot of my head. His prices were like unbelievable. So I thought, gee, I didn't know other people would collect this stuff after the Olympics. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start collecting. Don made some trades and sales with this person and later discovered he was trying to resell Don's pins for a big profit. Don soon had had enough. I said, I don't like that. I think people should know each other and trade with each other, not be doing it blindly. So I started the club. The club today has about 500 members from around the world, and they're affectionately known as Pinheads. 
Don's been so involved with collecting that he's even won the IOC's Juan Antonio Samaranch Medal for Olympic collecting. When I started the club, I wrote it up. I said, the purpose of this club is to help us find each other and trade pins and to make friendships that could last a lifetime. And these people are people I've known someone for 35 years. One of those members is Scott Reed. One of Scott's specialties is collecting NOC pins. That's National Olympic Committee pins. These are the pins that each country's Olympic Committee gives to their athletes before the Games. They're pretty coveted among collectors. The reason I like the Olympics is because I've, my hobbies have always been I love travel, I love sports, and I love history. And the Olympics encompasses all three. But to me, the NOC pins, because they're the ones the athletes trade, that's closest to the Olympics. It's like the most authentic, the most uh, legitimate, if that's the right word. Um, so I've just always collected NOCs and I enjoy having interaction with the athletes, trading them, and that kind of thing. In fact, a lot of the collectors told us they focused on NOC pins because each games has a set, and once you have all the countries, you're done. However, we saw lots of sport, sponsor, and mascot pins among the collections, too. So how does one get involved in pin collecting? The people we talked to tended to get sucked into the hobby when they went to the games. Many in the room had started with Lake Placid 1980, LA 1984, or Atlanta 1996, or really any games within driving distance. Here's Bob Kalmuck. I mean, I had a little bit of interest in the Olympics before, mm -hmm. watching it on TV, mm -hmm. but until it comes to your hometown, you really don't. You have no idea. Similarly for Craig Perlow, who also runs a business selling Olympic memorabilia. I'd like to think I was a bit of a trailblazer in that regard, but uh, I've been doing this since 1976. And how did you start? So, uh, I went to the Montreal Games. I was still living in my college town, I think in New York at the time, and okay. that was not a very far drive. A nope. uh, buddy of mine, I think I met on a spring trip to South Florida shortly before, decided he'd come up and we'd go up together and we spent a week and that was the beginning of this insanity. For others like Lindenhurst, New York resident Ed Schneider, getting to that first Games was elusive. He had wanted to go to the Olympics for years, but life usually transferred him elsewhere at just the wrong time. So, came 1984, I was going to LA, pardon come hell I water. I started with the pins a little bit. I actually, my first Olympic pin I won from American Express in 76. And they had a contest, they were a sponsor, so and they had the, just the logo pin, that was it. And that was the first pin. And then I knew there was pin collecting involved in, in, in LA, so I got a couple of them before I went out there. But what really pulled me into this was I went to the opening ceremonies in LA. And at the end of the opening ceremonies, people remember they had that uh, singer, and I, Never remember her name, but you, she, they did the reach out and touch. You had 120,000 people in the stadium, the crowd and the athletes, holding hands and singing reach out and touch and part of the expression. I said, that's it, I'm hooked. And that's how it started. When it comes to actually trading pins, a lot of the pinheads take whatever they can get. Some pins they keep for their collections, and then others they set aside for trading later. While they're at the games, they trade wherever they can, sometimes sitting on the sidewalk with backpack-sized boards or foam pads that display their pins, or they go to Coca-Cola's Pin Trading Center. So they put out these, they put up a big tent, everybody comes and trades, everybody says, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. Well now, 
Coca-Cola doesn't do it just to advertise. They want to earn the money back that it costs to put up the facility and send mm -hmm. the people there. So they make like a hundred different pits. Right, and okay. But they don't tell us ahead of time. Okay. We don't, unless we get somebody at Coke to say, hey, where do you see this such and such a pin or something. Okay. And then they sell them at the games. Right. And they also provide areas for us to set up on tables like this free. That's trade. nice. So they've been a big help to the hobby at the games. Many of Olympian's members volunteer with Coke. Here's Florida resident Ken Weiss. This is the rarest pen ever right here. That one. Okay, so that's Rio 2016. And that's me. You. <laughs> Only one pen made. <laughs> so do people, do, like, do they make specialty pens? Coca-Cola. Oh, Coke, and, and Coke made one, that? That's the one I don't have. <laughs> so Coca-Cola made that for you? Yeah. Coca-Cola has a big trading venue at every Olympics. That is, that is very and I, cool. And I volunteer for oh. Coca-Cola. Okay. At the trade show. At the trade show. So it's a whole bunch of us, a lot of us who belong to the club. With all this trading, how big are their collections? Here's Bob Kalmuck again. I have 100,000 pins at home. At home. Like and we well, are looking at, this. including, okay. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's several thousand here. Okay. A lot of those are extras, okay. you know, for, for trade and all uh -huh. that. It's a lot of other stuff, too. So. And Craig Perlow's collection takes up a good chunk of his basement. Yeah, I could I could literally, I think I could, all the, there are 28 tables in this room. I could, I could fill them all. Now, do you have this stored in your house? Uh, I have most of it in my 700-square-foot finished basement, but only probably... 150 or 200 square feet is a room that is just devoted to this and I have actually shelves on two of the four walls that are my clothing shelves. Okay. You know, kind of... For, for all of those? Yeah, like the, the, rub, like the Rubbermaid stuff, you know. Yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah right. Okay. Um, and uh, I have some things displayed upstairs in the two floors of my living quarters. One of the amazing things about pin collecting we found is the way it gives people things and experiences that they would never have had otherwise. Going to the games and you need to do it on the cheap? Hang out with Mark Fiedler. I used to trade my pins, I get food. I, went, I, I, trade, I said to this kid in Sydney, I said, uh, in 2000, I said, hey, if I give you a couple of pins, you get a pin? Yeah, okay. Because we're closing up to that. It's one of those gold medal softball games. So, I give the kid six pins for I get a beer or two. Mm -hmm. He gives me six beers, one for every pin. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we had a lot of fun doing that, man. That was that was that was great. Or be like Ed and live by the golden rule. But there was a guy that came in later and got in. He's a notorious money maker, I guess is the best way you can put it. And he came in with a stack of papers this thick, saying Johann Klaus is going to autograph all of them. I'm going to sell them on eBay. But four or five of us got together and said, we're going to keep an eye out, and he's not going to get anything. Needless to say, and every time something came up, we would tell him the Coke lady needs him, or we would engage in conversation, or what have you. We would keep him away from this guy. Long story short, at the end of the night, the guy got autographs maybe about five to ten. That was it. So, you know, and the thing was, the funny thing was, fast forward to four years later, I'm sorry. Yeah, four years later, in um, going to Salt Lake City. Um, I used to work for Pan Am until they went out of business. Delta was a big Olympic sponsor. So I get to my gate, and I see the girls there at JFK. They have no Delta Olympic pins, and they're working a flight to Salt Lake City. I said, what's wrong with this picture? 
I gave them some pins. They called down their supervisor. Their supervisor was my former supervisor when I was there. So I threw him a couple of pins. I go back, sit down. You know, Kevin, great to see you. You know, nice to see you. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, I get called up to the uh, to the platform. Uh, Mr. Schneider, you've been given first class tickets. Oh, nice. So pins got me upgraded to first class. <laughs> Nice now, work. Nice I'm on flight. the flight. I'm on the flight. Who's sitting right near me? Johan Klaus. And he remembered no me from Nagano. We heard countless stories of how pin collecting has opened doors for people. Or gotten them arrested. In Barcelona, pin people were constantly in trouble with the police. I got arrested three times. The first two times they put me in their car and they drove me to the outskirts of town and told me to get out. And now I'm like 10 miles away and I gotta figure out how to get out. I was young then. If they did it to me now, I'd probably just stand there until I molded or something. The third time they took me away and made a big scene about it. But, but even Don's experience has a silver lining because the organizers for the 1994 Lillehammer Games were at Barcelona to learn how to put on the games. They saw the pin collector phenomenon and invited Don to come to Norway to talk with them just so they could make a good environment for the pin traders during their games. Don's advice worked. Lillehammer said, you can buy, sell, trade, have fun. And they let everybody, we, we bought like clothes drying racks in the hardware store. People are up and down the street with these racks and our pins are all on board. And we all stand there and talk to each other and meet the athletes. And, it was, it was totally free and easy. Oh, Matt looked over my shoulder. You know, this guy wants okay, to spend $100. Is anybody watching, or is he trying to trap me? That's what they did in Spain. They come up to him and say, please, for my muchacho, just 500% for that pit. You do it, okay, you're arrested. Now, that's entrapment in some Right, right. So Lillehammer was just so much fun because you just did they went along with they didn't mind. We spent a lot of time in the convention center, and after talking with everyone for a while, I decided to get in on the action. I'd brought with me a few pins that I have lying around at home. Some are from a collection of Coca-Cola pins for Rio 2016 that I got with Coke Rewards points. They look like large bottle caps, and in one corner there's a part that spins with the Rio logo on one side and the Coke logo on the other. I also had several random pins I'd gotten in a mystery pin bag purchase from the Lake Placid Olympic Museum that I had gotten earlier this year. And this included an ABC pin from Calgary, a Gazprom pin, which is one of the French sponsors, and a torch pin from Sochi 2014 that was still in its package. I tried my luck with Pam Litz, who's from Malibu, California. Pam talked me through my pins and told me that the Olympic rings really make a pin more desirable. So one of my Vancouver pins, which is just a hot air balloon that doesn't say much else, it's not that great. And I find out later from someone else that it's a fake. Also, everybody's got the ABC Calgary pin. Pam does like my Rio Coca-Cola pins, so she's game. So if you were to trade for one of these, not yes. the swimming because I like swimming, no. <laughs> if you were to trade for one of them, what would you trade for? Oh, well, would you trade? I would say, what do you like? What do I and like? And then we'd okay. go take it Like, how there. does this process work? Yeah, how does yeah, this process, well, process work? work. Yeah. That's what I would do. Okay, Okay. so, so we put these on, the t on your table and say right. we're willing and to I trade know, these pins. You know, to me, they're really nice because I don't have them. Okay. That's always the key for a collector. Do okay. I ha if I have it already, then, you know, it might be nice, but you don't care. 
um, that I don't, so, you know, I think they're really nice. So I would say, sure, what, it, what are you interested in? What do you in? like? Then we have to see yeah. if it's comparable, you know. I am interested in this little Misha. In the little Misha? Yeah, and I would say I would definitely do that. Okay. This, I guess it would be um, soccer, right? Yes, that's soccer. Yeah. And then I'm just trying to just uh, the golf is probably interesting because it was the first time. Was the first first the Rio uh, was well, no, the golf, the, show, they golf did. was way long well, ago. Well, way oh, but the but reintroduction the yeah. first time it was brought back. Yes. So I that would probably be the one that would appear. This is also nice, just with the basic coat. I mean, they're all nice. So, do you want to do that? Or you go There's Sam and ones too, Jill, and I know how much you love Sam. I do love Sam. And you know, just because it's you guys, and this is a nice pin that I don't have, that it would go in my collection. If you want to do a Sam and a Misha for, for you, I would do that. This, but there's lots of stuff. Yeah, there's, that's almost the hard thing. It is the hard thing. Yeah, when, you're, when you're first starting, that is really the hardest thing because you don't have anything. So right, so where right. do you start? I chose a Barcelona Kobe pin for me and a Moscow Misha pin for Allison. Okay, so I'm picking the golf one. Okay, excellent. Excellent. And if you decide you want to trade any more, I'm happy to All do right. That. So you're going to start a Kobe collection. Yeah, there you I go. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's no, just it's interesting what you what you start getting drawn to yeah. and, and how you develop But that's collection. a good thing because you definitely have to narrow it down. Yeah, because otherwise it just, you go without crazy. a focus, you don't know what to do. Yeah. Word of my pins got around. When we came back from lunch, Bob Boehm from Lowell, Massachusetts, came up to us because he'd heard about my Sochi pin. I was so flabbergasted, I forgot to start my recorder. So I don't have this transaction on tape. Bob looked at my pin and asked how much I wanted for it. I didn't even know what to charge. And that's when Mark popped up and told me to ask for 10 bucks. I asked Bob what he'd offer and he said five, but that he'd meet me in the middle at seven. I was sold. I just made $7 by selling a pin that I didn't like. And yeah, they found you. I know. And that makes, you know what makes me happy is that I don't have it anymore. Although trading was quiet at this convention, we imagined that during the games it could be pretty hectic, especially if there's a pin that everyone wants. Still, many of the collectors we talked to kept a pretty level head on their shoulders regarding their collections. Here's Scott. So you're just selling to support your habit. Well, everybody's got to have a hobby, right? And that's what I didn't tell my wife. I mean, it wasn't like we had made an agreement. But mentally, I just told myself when I started collecting, I said, I'm not going to drain grocery money for this hobby. I'm going to make it self-supported. And I used to every month. I had an Excel spreadsheet every month. I wouldn't spend more than I made that month, and I quit doing that. But because it just didn't make sense. But I make sure that it pays for itself, and that way, like trips usually pay for themselves, and, and we can get vacations out of it. But I don't, I don't just. I'm real careful to make sure that I'm not spending money that's family money. It's, it's just that's why I sell is to is to allow me to do the rest of it. And even though we knew they all loved going to the games, we also heard countless stories about needing to miss them because they had new babies, they had family commitments, or they had to work. They go in the ken, or in the case of Pam, when family steps in. 
Okay, I did get to go to Calgary, even though my son was only <laughs> an infant in arms. Yeah. But anyway, because I was watching the, that was the first time that Coke had a contracting center, okay. which has really helped the hobby mm -hmm. to yeah. grow and everything. And they kept showing that on TV and featuring it and showing people trading and all that. And I was like sitting there with tears in my eyes. You know? <laughs> my husband said, well, I think I could manage for a weekend if you want to go up there just for the weekend. With the baby. You could manage with the baby. baby. So I did. I, man, I got on that plane so fast. <laughs> <laughs> that is supportive that husband. Was the, he was actually, my son was 10 months old, so. Um, it, but anyway, yes, very supportive, and I felt like I was me again. The camaraderie among the club members is infectious, and we couldn't help but see why it's more fun to have this hobby with friends rather than go it alone. Still, eBay has really changed the way pin collecting works. Ebay has changed everything. Do you think eBay has ruined the, the trading or helped? Uh, I, I don't know which it is. I, I, I think it's hurt because it's taken the personal thing out of, out of it. But there's a lot of things that go on on eBay that aren't, they aren't legitimate. And if, if you're out there in the computer by yourself, you don't have other people who can say, look what I found. You don't have any inkling about the hobby. You could be getting scammed. And we got that eBay could be helpful just for rounding out a collection, but we really didn't understand why anyone would want to trade pins solely on the internet when they could have friends and lives like this. And the friendships I've made just collecting and and uh, and, and working the games and being a part of them, I mean, it's you can't... You can't put that, you can't really express it in words that well, as much as I'd, try, I'd like to try. 41 years is a long time to be doing anything, uh, let alone this. You cannot beat this kind of now everyone's gonna be camaraderie, to, uh, humor, banter back and forth anywhere in the world. I mean, the guy Mark over here, the guy that just walked over here, well, speaking of the devil, he's like the brother I never had. Yeah, friggin' two brothers, you schmuck. <laughs> See what I mean? Special thanks to the members of Olympian who spent so much time with us. Don Bigsby, Pam Litz, Scott Reed, Bob Kalmuck, Ed Schneider, Craig Perlow, Mark Fiedler, Ken Weiss. Thanks to John Becker for letting us in. And Bob Bohm, thanks again for buying my pin. And I'm really sorry we don't have you on tape. We'll have to get you on the show soon. If you're interested in learning more about Olympian, you can find them at olympinclub.com. And we'll have a link in our show notes. See, Allison, what was interesting to me was the pinheads we experienced are not the same pinheads we see portrayed in the media a lot. Absolutely. You know, you see these sort of crazed people who you can't have a conversation with, and it's all about the pins, and they're kind of creepy, and you wouldn't want to see them on the subway. These people were fantastic. They were so generous and fun and shared such fantastic stories with us. I know. And and, uh, and, and I couldn't get enough of them. Oh, I, I yeah, I know. I, I wish we had another weekend. But um, I think, I bet at the games, the atmosphere gets to be a little different because you do get those, oh, hey, I got a collection, I got to build it. 
so I'm sure they're a little bit more amped and I bet there's people who just suddenly hop on the pin trading bandwagon and go yes. nuts because then you find out what pin is crazy for that particular day or that particular moment. And I, I'm sure you do see scenes where people just go crazy, but like the diehard collectors are just the nicest people. And so wanting to get you involved. You know, I think they were all so excited about you selling a pin. <laughs> I think I think Mark was more influential in my getting $7 for that pin because I didn't yes, know what to sell was, it for. There was so much excitement on the fact that you had sold a pin and so much excitement when Pam traded the pin with you. And each gave us a pin. You know, I wasn't even I had no pins. I had nothing. And she said to me, oh, no, you have to take a pin. Like she they want to get you hooked, but not in a creepy way, in a I love this and I want to share this with people because this makes me so happy and I think it'll make you happy. Right. And and people like Scott, who got into it because it's a combination of his three favorite things, history, sports yes. and travel. And it's I mean, that's what a great hobby to have. And that's what we heard really from all of them. I think that could have been something that all of them could have said. I mean, Scott's the one, Scott's the one who said it, but I think we could have put those words to any of the people we talked to, that that's what they love about pin collecting. Right. And, and the other thing that is really cool that really stuck out to me was the fact that this is a hobby that you never know where it's going to take you. Right. I mean, you look at Don who founded the club just because he's like, ah, I'm getting kind of ripped off <laughs> with my, my, fledgling, my fledgling pin collection. I'm going to start my own group, but I want it to be people who get to know each other and have a good time and help each other out. And then, you know, what, 19, 14, 15 years later, or less than that, he's in Norway helping out the Lillehammer organizing committee. <laughs> set up their right. pin centers it, and and how they're going to manage the pin collect, collecting. It's just amazing. Right. And what surprised me a lot was how involved Coke is. Oh, right. you know, so many of the people we talked to said, you know, Coke sets up this whole thing and they hired me to do this or they asked me to volunteer with it. Coke is very involved in the pin collecting community. Right. Which I, which surprised me, uh, which shouldn't have surprised me because they're so involved in the Olympics as a sponsor in general. I mean, they are kind of the big wig, but just that they would get involved in this. Right. As fan outreach and, and just being, it, 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 I think it's a great way to be a sponsor because that's what you want is the fan engagement. And like, like people said, oh, you get talking about Coke. Right. And we saw a lot of Coke pins. We they did. make a lot of pins. They do make a lot of pins. Um, unfortunately, we should try to talk to Coke sometime. We couldn't get a hold of them for this episode. But yeah, whoever is running their uh, program for uh, Pyeongchang or Beijing. Yeah, that would talk be. To us. Give yeah. us a call. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Voicemails at the end of the show. <laughs> so, and and on that note, it's time to segue over into our trivia segment. 
Allison, what do you have for have me this week? Trivia. You have Coke trivia. Have, awesome. I have Coke trivia, which you, okay. So Coke, as we mentioned, uh, has been a sponsor for a very long time, but can you name the first Olympics for which they were a sponsor? Amsterdam, 1924. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, wait, <laughs> you're wrong. Wait, wasn't it Amsterdam? It was. 1928. 1928. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm like, it's Amsterdam. I'll, I'll take I, just, I just listened to some tape. Come on. I, I know this. <laughs> okay, you little, <laughs> little bit that I got you. Okay, ah, go ahead. Yes. All right. And so for you, I have also a pin uh, question. The 1896 pins for the very first modern games were made out of what material? Oh, wait, they told us this. Yes. Was, wasn't it like cardboard and ribbon? Yes, it is cardboard and ribbon. Very good, very good. And, yeah. you know, the thing about those is that they only had three types of pins. They had pins for athletes and judges and officials. And right. that's it. And they're made they're made out of cardboard. They have little, like... Christmas ribbon. I think somebody, I think Don was the one who told us it was like Christmas ribbon. Yeah. Somebody was showing us uh, ribbons from the IOC meetings and that he collects ribbons from IOC meetings. And that's how we got on that conversation. Right. So um, those are pretty valuable now, especially yes. to pin collectors, but they're for a collectible. They're really rare to get and uh, kind of a holy grail, I think. Yeah, because even if people wanted to save them, they're paper. Yeah. Paper does not last. Not, for, not very long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so also this week, we've got a little little update and follow-up on the winter 2026 bids. Allison, why don't you fill us in on what's been going on in the news? Yes. So briefly on our uh, episode where we talked about the bid process, we mentioned a bunch of places were talking about bidding for 2026. And we were saying Innsbruck was going to be holding a referendum and they held the referendum and it's a big fat no. So Innsbruck is out of the running for 2026. Which is kind of surprising because they had a lot of infrastructure, but the the vote was no, not not super overwhelmingly, if I remember correctly, but enough. Right, right. I'm it just had a majority. To, yeah, it was 53, uh, 5.35%. Wow. But in Innsbruck itself, 67% voted no. Wow. It's kind of the, the people that would have been most affected right. really didn't want it. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So interesting. So what, uh, in the meantime, what's the IOC done? So as part of Agenda 2020, which we also talked about uh, before, they're implementing some of those changes as part of the 2026 uh, application process. So now there's going to be a dialogue stage, which starts now and ends next October. So the uh, cities who are thinking about this don't have to make any commitments. 
they're not there's no formal proposals there's no presentations it's more the IOC and the uh, national organizations are going to talk some more I'm not sure how different that really is but maybe they're trying to make it be less formal I for, guess for at least to... a year because I mean people yeah. bid committees had to work on proposals for a good two years before they actually right. got the got the answer and maybe they're right. they're then, trying to f- shorten that down right the formal candidature excuse me <laughs> candidature <laughs> stage is a year so I guess it used to be more like two years so I guess they're trying to make it cheaper to bid Right. Cheaper. That's yeah. With a shorter, shorter process, a shorter timeline than it's supposedly cheaper. And they say that the one candidature file that they have to submit in January 19, 2019 will be shorter by a third. So they don't have to answer as many questions, which in a way is kind of good because they don't necessarily have to do a ton of legwork. In order it's all to making the, that, yeah, making yeah, it's the all bid making the bid process cheaper. But then on the flip side, you have to wonder, like, oh, hey, cities, are you really thinking this through? That would be my 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 other reaction to that. So I don't think the IOC is going to feel better about the Austrians saying, "No, thank you." Yeah. I don't know how to say that in German. So <laughs> nine, danke. Nine, danke. Uh, yeah, danke, nine. <laughs> I think that's what Innsbruck was saying to the IFC. Oh, and on that note, it's time for the end of another episode. So thank you so much for listening. We have one quick request for you. Or actually, I two quick requests for you. Uh, now you're getting like the IOC asking for more. Yeah. <laughs> First up is, if you've been to an Olympic Games and have a great story to tell, we would love to hear it and love to talk to you. Email us at info at olimfever.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever.com. And write, I've been to the Games in the subject line. Also, if you like the show, please share it with your friends. And please uh, give us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think. So until next week... I guess we're yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Allison. See you next week, everybody. Stay in touch. Email us at olimfever at gmail.com. That's O L Y M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. So have we gotten you guys hooked yet?